into the word of God. We are still working, as you know, through Romans. And so we're in Romans chapter two. And so what we'll be talking about today is when most of us think about our relationship with the Lord, there are always these natural challenges that I believe that we face as Christians. Perhaps the most common challenge that we all face is that we want to work our way up in order to gain approval from God. Now, we have to understand why this is such a challenge for for us just as humankind and mankind to desire to work our way up to God. Why is it such a challenge? I mean, after all, we would think that if we know how freely we have been given the grace of God, this offering has been extended to us, that most of us, knowing that God has given us this offer, would readily just receive this offering of grace. But unfortunately, most of us would rather work as hard as we can in order to reach up to God. So what is the disconnect? Why is it that we don't always just readily receive this grace? Why is it that we want to work our way up to God? Well, think about it like this. Many of us in this room who are diligent to go to work early are not just doing it because we think that it's an honorable thing and that we're going to be good workers. Many of us are actually, if we're being honest, trying to build equity so that when we end up breaking some other lesser rule, we can say, but I show up early every day, so it doesn't matter that I broke this other rule. We're, we're trying to build some equity. And so if we come in early every day, it's okay if we break the smaller rule. Most of us, if we're honest, want to be judged by our works because we know that in terms of God's moral law, we do not intend, nor do we have the ability to obey all of it on our own. And so we think, well, I'm not a murderer, so it's okay that I lie. I don't murder anybody. I, I'm not an adulterer, so it's okay that I take a few pens and some things that don't really belong to me because I'm not doing the big stuff, as we call it. The truth is that we want our good deeds to be seen as so good and noble that essentially the good covers up the bad. But as we have learned and as we know, it doesn't work like that. Many of us want to live our faith from the outside in. But in actuality, we have been called not to live from the outside in, but from the inside out. As you know, Romans is a deep, dense, theologically sound book, and today's passage will be no different, but I want that to encourage you. That should excite you that we're going to take this deep dive into God's word and see how he has called us all to live inside out. So go with me if you will. We're in Romans chapter 2. We're in verse 12, Romans 2 and 12. Again, as you know, this is Paul's lengthy letter to the church he didn't establish in Rome that was made up of several different types of Christians. He says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. 
And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a God to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the dishonor, the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to jump into the word, God, we pray that you will open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, God, so that we can see the truth of our walk with you. That we have not been called to try to live our faith out loud or outside in, but that you have called us to be transformed first from the inside. And that because we have been transformed from the inside, that it will reshape how we live outwardly. That is our prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I know some of you may be a little dizzy or even looking a little cross-eyed after reading such a long passage, but... It is absolutely a passage that is filled with deep wisdom and truth. And to understand this text, we need to start by looking at the verses from 12 through 16. First, he says that all who sinned without the law will perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Now, this is revisiting a theme that we have had over the last few weeks. And that theme is this. Everyone is guilty whether they know God's law or they do not. Those who know the law are guilty because they violate it. So let's work through this. The law Paul is referring to here, by the way, 
is the original giving of the Ten Commandments. And I don't want to assume that we all know the Ten Commandments, so let's go through them really quickly. The first one, you shall not have any of the gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your mother and your father. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And finally, do not covet. When these Ten Commandments, what we know as the law, were given, they were given to Moses to give to the Israelites. But they were the only ones who got it. So if you were not an Israelite, you did not get the Ten Commandments. Why? Because only the Israelites, these Jewish people, were God's chosen people. And he chose to not only give them the law, but also make them the line of people that Christ would inevitably come through. So what about the people? Everybody else, us, the Gentiles who did not have the law. Well, those are all the people as us who were born without the law. And we crossed this a few weeks ago, but now we can do an even deeper dive. When non-Jewish people, those who were not Israelites, when they did not have the law, it did not mean that they were innocent from having to keep the law. I can't tell you how many times I have been pulled over for that speed limit that I just didn't see. Officer typically has two questions asked. Did you know what the speed limit was? No. Did you know how fast you were going? No. Am I going to still get a ticket? Yes. Because whether or not we know the law, we are still held accountable to the law. And even this, Even if I didn't know what the speed limit was, I knew one thing, I was going too fast. Because the law is written on my heart. I knew I was violating something. And so I can't use the excuse, but I didn't know what the limit was because whether or not I knew what the limit was, I knew there was one. I knew there was a limit. And that is the very same thing that happens with the people who were born without the law. You may not have it written, but written on your heart is a moral law. And that means that you are not innocent. And y'all, this is difficult. I understand this because a lot of people like to believe that people who do not know God's moral law by default are innocent of God's law because they didn't have it. But that presents us with two problems and we have to address them. One, if you think that you're innocent because you didn't know the law, well, that would mean first that those who do not know the law, who do know the law, however, are made righteous just because they know the law. That would mean once you learned of the Ten Commandments, that knowledge alone would save you. And we know that's not true. But that also mean this. It would mean that you are actually better off having not ever heard the gospel than hearing it. Because once it has been revealed to you, now you're held accountable to it. But if you believe that people who don't know God's moral law are innocent, that would mean that we shouldn't preach the gospel at all. Because as long as they don't know God's moral law, they're innocent. 
But that's not the case. In fact, that is why we preach the gospel, because all men are guilty, held accountable, and having broken God's law, will have to pay the penalty for it. That's why if you ever read in the Bible, it says, not until the gospel has been preached through all the earth, then the end will come. That is the charge. If we know that there are people who are being held accountable to the law but have not heard the gospel, then our job as Christians should be what? Go preach the gospel to all people of all nations of all generations. And we know that both these things are untrue. Those who know the law are not righteous simply because they know the law. Paul even confirms that here. He says that it is not those who only hear the law who are made righteous by the law of God, but he says it is those who do the law. It is those who do the law who are justified. Now, wait a minute. I thought we were justified by faith. I didn't think we were justified by works, and that's true. But let me explain what Paul is communicating here. He is saying that the evidence of people who are made righteous through their faith are the people who do the law. Now, I hit this in what goes on record. Go look it up. We still have it available in the podcast. It goes on record as the longest sermon I've ever preached in our church, which was like 56 minutes long. So for the people who who were there, like you, you, you a trooper. All right. That thing was long, but it was a really important sermon and it was called Faith, Works and Confusion. And in that sermon, James talks about that there are good works that must accompany our good faith. But it isn't the other way around. And I think that's where many of us, myself included, often miss the mark. We want our good works to be the thing, the sign that produces good faith in us. But you see, this is just not the way the equation actually works. The law of God must first be at work in our hearts. And what is the heart? The life source of the law. It is the first commandment that was given, by the way. You will not have any other gods before me. How do you do that? How do you not have another God before God? According to Deuteronomy, where Jesus quotes, you must love the Lord your God. And let me tell you this. There are not enough clever words There are not enough good deeds. There are not enough tasks that you can do that will actually make some make you love someone you simply do not love. I've seen time and time again where people will try to do the stuff thinking that they will fall in love with someone they don't love. It doesn't work that way. And we take that same philosophy with God. If I do the stuff, eventually, God, I'll learn to love you. It doesn't work like that. Unless the stuff you do is motivated out of a place of love, your good deeds are for nothing. 
I mean, after all, how would you feel if one day your spouse comes to you and say, you know, all these things I've done for you, taking care of you, helping support you, taking care of the children, being present, giving you massages every now and again, cooking your meals, taking you on dates, all that stuff. Did you enjoy that stuff? I loved it. Well, good, because I don't love you. All of that stuff immediately becomes worth nothing, doesn't it? To know that it came not from a source of love, but a source of obligation. And y'all, unfortunately, there are many of us who are loving Christ this way, out of obligation. I know I'm supposed to go to church. I know I'm supposed to pay my tithes. I know I'm supposed to do this. I know I'm supposed to do that. But it's not rooted in the true love for him. And this is a challenge for us. But it is a true statement. Your works will not make you love God. And this type of outside in living will leave people deceived into thinking that they are something that they are not. Righteous. So Paul's point is this. The only way you can actually do the law or do the word is that you must love the Lord. Only if you truly love the Lord will it produce in you righteous and good works. What did we talk about two weeks ago? Everyone was born knowing innately that there is a God, but they do not like that God. And they refuse to love that God and believe the truth. So whether you had the law, that law is a part of your moral code. And more importantly, that God exists is a part of your genetic makeup. You know there's a God. But not written on our hearts is a desire to love and obey that God. And notice how Paul loops here back around to his previous discussion on hypocrisy when he says that those of you who teach, referring to the Jewish leaders here, is your teaching consistent with your living? And this is the common theme that we have to note as believers. We cannot divorce our professed love from what our actions say we actually are. Jesus sums it up succinctly, by the way. He says, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So how do our hearts align with our actions? How do we love the Lord? After all, I don't know about you, but I question almost everything I do. And whether or not when I pray, if it is coming from a sincere and authentic place or am I praying because I know I'm supposed to. I struggle every time I open up to read my Bible. There's a part of me that wants to know God and wants to grow in God. But there's a real part of me that feels like, but if I don't do this and call myself a pastor, how can I be one? There is this tug of war that we all are going to wrestle in that we're going to either do it because we want to do it and love the Lord. Or we feel like I have to do it. So how do we love the Lord? First, John four and seven says this. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love, who does not love, does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. Look at this. It's beautiful. But that he loved us. How much did he love us? And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the substitute. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We love the Lord most effectively, y'all, by responding to his love for us. He has set his love on us. God has demonstrated for us that he loves us. And John says that love responds to love with love. Well, who? You respond to God's love by loving him, but then loving those around you. No one who really understands what Jesus did for us and why he did it will look back to him and say, I got to pay you back. Nobody in their right mind who understands the gospel would think I have to pay God back. You look at him and you know there is no way I could ever pay him back. If you've never seen Willy Wonka, it's something like that scene right at the end of Willy Wonka when Charlie having seen everything that Willie had shared with him and the other children. Now, all of the other kids, when they saw what Willie had shared, what did they do? They took even more. They said, if you're going to share this much with us, we'll take even more. They were taking candy. They were taking secrets. They were taking all sorts of things. They thought if he would give all of this to us, how much more can I take? But see, that wasn't the way that Charlie thought. He thought after seeing all that was shared with him, everything that Willy Wonka was willing to open up himself to, you know what he thought? I can't take anything else from him. How could I take anything else from him? He has opened himself up in a way that I never would have imagined. And so at the end, it's that scene when he gives him that piece of candy back. And that's how you respond to the gospel. That's how you respond to love. I can't just take anything back. I've been so loved by God. This is all I have to give back. What is this? This little thing. It's my life. I can't take anything else from you, God. Look at how you love me. But I can give you this. You trying to pay me back? No. I just feel like I owe you my life. He was so moved by what was done for him. Those of us who truly know the Lord 
and be known by him are those who only choose to respond to the love that God has first extended to us through his gospel. And a love, by the way, that goes deeper, that goes wider than we could ever explain. If we see how God has loved us, and John says that we ought to love him. And we ought to also love one another. You see how the love of God works from the inside out. Because it's, it's transformation. Paul then says something in our text that would have been quite controversial in the eyes of the Jewish readers. He says that if you break the law, To these Jewish leaders, he says, you are no better than the uncircumcised Gentile. In other words, if you undermine God, then there are no actions that can make you right. You are as if you are cut off from him. You are not. But then just as controversial as that was, he says something even more head turning. He says this. He says, then. He who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Uh Oh, this is problematic. This is not just problematic for a Jewish leader, but it's also problematic for the religious elite, the Christian who thinks that they do enough good stuff to be made righteous. Paul says that there are going to be people, people like us, who were not born into the right family, who did not receive the moral code, who were not Jews, who didn't have the law, but we do have Jesus. And while we may not have the physical circumcision, we will have a heart that has been circumcised and dedicated to the Lord and a righteousness that did not come from us, but came from the only one who can give it. In other words, we will know the Lord not from the outside in, but from the inside out. We have a love that has completely reshaped who we are and how we live. And we can live in freedom knowing that we don't have to work hard to be accepted by God. But that despite ourselves, God has loved us and saved us anyway. Isn't that beautiful? I think some of the misery that some people have and they experience as they profess Christianity is that they are working themselves to the bone to gain something they could never actually gain themselves. Jesus alone has done all the necessary work to save us. And he has promised that he will dwell in us. And that indwelling will cause us to act out our faith. And remember, whatever comes out of our lives is what has been patterned in our hearts. And to this, Jesus says, it is not what goes in a man that defiles a man. It is what comes out.
Not only does what come out defile a man, but what comes out reveals a man. Who you are on the outside is evidence of what is actually happening on the inside. Now, you would like for that just to be the stuff that comes out when you're around other people, but I'm talking about when nobody else is watching, when nobody else is in the room, when nobody else knows the inward thoughts and the heart, there's one person who can judge the intents of the heart, and that's God. Are you trying your best to live from the outside in, or have you been washed? Have you been cleaned? Have you been changed from the inside out? And if so, is the life you live consistent with what you say has happened on the inside? Whatever comes out has to be what is in there. Is Christ working from the inside out of us? Or are we just the hopeless pretenders hoping that our good works will eventually be good enough? Let's pray. Lord, it is so easy for us to be deceived. It is very easy, God, for us to lean from the outside in to hope that our good works will be enough to measure up. But God, the reality is that you have done all the work. You've done the work. You've already sent your son, and we're celebrating this next week, God. And if we're going to celebrate this, then we have to understand it. We have to live like we know. God, the beauty of the gospel is that you have saved us, not because of any goodness of our own, but because of your goodness. And it is your goodness that is holding us, that has sealed us until the day of Jesus Christ. It means we don't have to work to hold on to our salvation, but it is bound together by the redemptive blood of Christ. So, God, my prayer is that for all of us, as we listen to this word, as we work through this word, as we go through this week and we get ready to celebrate Easter and your resurrection that we'll be reminded the crux of what we know to be true about the gospel is that when you save us, you work from the inside out. And as prophesied in the Old Testament, you said you would give us new hearts. God, we thank you. Help us walk freely. Help us know you in the way that you have called us to be known. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody say, Amen.